Welcome back to Cherry Avenue True Crime Podcast. This is the Halloween special. We are going to go over a bunch of scary movies that were either inspired by or based on true stories. I'll give you a brief synopsis of the movie in case you want to watch them this Halloween season, and then I'll give you the details of the true story that inspired each one. Hold on to your scythe, broomstick, or whatever spooky potion you are making, and sit back to listen. This is a true crime podcast, and this episode includes details of vicious murders as well as other assaults. Listener discretion is advised. The first movie is Eaten Alive. It's a 1976 movie. It stars Neville Brand, Mel Farrar, Toby Hooper, Robert England, and, oh yes, Kyle Richards of Housewives of Beverly Hills fame. She is in the movie as the little girl with really crazy parents. I had to go to YouTube because it was not available to stream anywhere else at the time of this writing. Not that I'm recommending this movie to anyone, because I'm not. It's a weird, weird one, and that's putting it nicely. A psychotic redneck who owns a dilapidated hotel in rural East Texas kills various people who upset him or his business, and he feeds their bodies to a large crocodile that he keeps as a pet in the swamp beside his hotel. The events of Eaten Alive, which also went by the alternate titles Death Trap, Horror Hotel, and Starlight Slaughter, were based on the real-life alligator killer Joe Ball. Ball murdered at least two women in the 1930s, and the rumor was that he disposed of the bodies by feeding them to the pet alligators he kept at his Elmendorf, Texas bar. The movie starts out with Robert England of Freddy Krueger fame. He is at a bordello and is telling the sex worker he is with what he would like. Long story short, she does not want to be a sex worker, and she gets kicked out of the brothel. She ends up walking down the road to the Starlight Hotel. On her way into the hotel, she hears an alligator thrashing around in the water right next to the hotel. When she goes in and inquires about a room, the man there, Judd, tells her it's not a normal gator she heard. It's a crocodile. He tells her that the croc will eat anything, anything at all. As they are walking up the stairs, Judd suddenly attacks her out of the blue. He kills her with some horrifying hook-rake combo he has. It is gnarly. He tips her over the railing for the gator slash croc to eat. The movie continues on this way with Judd running the small hotel, killing one guest after another, or at least wounding them and then pushing them in the water for the croc to eat. He kills them or seriously injures them using various methods, including a sharp hooked rake, a giant scythe, etc. The real story. Joseph Douglas Ball was a suspected serial killer, sometimes referred to as the Alligator Man, the Butcher of Elmendorf, and the Bluebeard of South Texas. He is known to have killed at least two and possibly murdered as many as 20 women in the 1930s. Elmendorf is a very small city with a population of just under 1,500 people, and in the 30s it was even smaller with a population of around 300. Joseph Douglas Ball was born January 5, 1896. Joe served in World War I. In 1921, he married his first wife, Clara Christina Wani. The marriage didn't last very long. Joe saw an opportunity during Prohibition and became a bootlegger. He took some of the money he made and built a bar in 1933, 
which he called the Sociable Inn. The inn had a large cement pool behind it with a 10-foot-high wire fence. Joe filled the pool with five alligators, one large and four smaller. Sadly, the poor stray cats and dogs, as well as wild animals in the area, were often fed to the alligators, and Joe would often charge money to watch the feedings. In the summer of 1937, Minnie Goddard, a waitress at Joe's bar, disappeared. Her parents went to the sheriff because they knew something was wrong. She was only 22 and left all of her clothes behind. Also, they said, she wouldn't have left them without saying anything. The authorities talked to Joe, but he just told them she found another job and was gone. Ball had been dating another waitress, Dolores Goodwin, who was 15 years younger than him, and in September they got married. Joe told Dolores his secret, that he had taken Minnie to the beach and killed her. Minnie was pregnant, he said, and since he was already seeing Dolores, he had to get rid of Minnie. Dolores told another waitress, Hazel Brown, about Joe killing Minnie. In January of 1938, Dolores was in a car accident and lost her left arm. Joe's reputation by then was such that the word in town was that Joe had either cut off her arm and fed it to an alligator, or an alligator ripped it right off of Dolores' body. When Dolores went missing, Joe was already seeing Hazel Brown behind Dolores' back. Sometime soon after, Hazel also disappeared. Apparently, there were some other waitresses as well that vanished without a trace. In September of 1938, the sheriffs were informed about a bad-smelling barrel that Joe Ball had left behind his sister's barn. There was enough rumor and disappearances that they decided to go out and take a look. The barrel was gone, but his sister confirmed it had been there. They went out to talk to Joe Ball and told him that he needed to come with them for questioning. Joe asked them if he could close down the bar, and they agreed. They went inside with him. Joe got a beer, took a couple of shots, opened the register, and took out a gun that was on the shelf beneath it. Ball pointed the gun at his heart and pulled the trigger. After Joe was dead, the sheriffs looked over the place. Finding an axe with blood and hair on it, their first theory was the one that was already a rumor. He killed his wife and others and fed them to the gators. Joe had a handyman, Clifton Wheeler, who agreed to talk to the investigators. He told them how Hazel Brown had fallen for another guy. She wanted to leave Joe and the bar, but Joe didn't like that. Wheeler said she threatened to tell police about Joe's killing Minnie. So Wheeler took the sheriffs three miles out of town on a bluff overlooking the San Antonio River. They dug there and found the dismembered body of Hazel Brown. She had originally been in the barrel behind the barn, but Joe had moved that with the help of Wheeler, he also told them that Minnie had been pregnant and Joe was seeing Dolores at that time, so he told Wheeler he had no choice. He took her out to the beach, got her drunk, and then shot her in the back of the head. Wheeler helped him bury her. They asked Wheeler about the other women that had disappeared, but it was unclear if Wheeler was able to help them any further. They had found a scrapbook with photos of dozens of women, so they did suspect more. One woman who had been considered missing, Joe's wife, Dolores, was found. She was in San Diego, where she had gone to stay with her sister after running away from Joe. The alligators ended up going to the San Antonio Zoo. The monthly magazine True Detective featured stories about Joe Ball, the area, and his friends and family. According to Joe's nephew, the stories were largely exaggerated and sometimes just out-and-out -out fiction. The exaggerations and inaccurate details made their way into books and eventually online. 
There were many stories and lore about witnesses, seeing everything from Joe throwing chunks of human flesh into the gator pit, all the way to seeing an entire body being tossed in. It's impossible to prove that Ball never did that. Some missing women were found, but some never were. Considering how much can be proved about Ball, the two bodies that were found, including one cut into many pieces, his throwing live animals into the alligator pool, lots of women coming and going to work for him, it could certainly be more than two murders. In an interview Dolores did in 1957, she said Joe never put anyone in the alligator tank. She also said he was a sweet, kind man who never hurt anyone unless he was driven to it. Apparently, he was driven to the two murders he did commit, as she agreed that much was true. The next movie that we are discussing is Shadow of the Vampire, 2001 movie starring John Malkovich, William Defoe, and Carrie Ells. Shadow of the Vampire is a film about the making of a German all-time classic silent horror movie from 1922 called Nasferatu. And then there's some other German words, Ein, Symphony, De, Des, Grounds, I, I don't know how to pronounce those. Uh, what it means is... Nosferatu, a symphony of horror. The production of Nosferatu had to deal with a lot of strange things. Some crew members disappeared, some died. Shadow of the Vampire stars John Malkovich as F.W. Marnow and Willem Dafoe as Max Schreck. It is the fictionalized story of the making of Nosferatu. The fiction comes from the possibility that Max Schreck, the actor who played the vampire, might have been a real vampire. Roger Ebert has said of the 1922 movie Nosferatu, the film is in awe of its material. It seems to really believe in vampires. Shadow of the Vampire took that to heart. The movie Shadow of the Vampire is the story of making that movie Nosferatu in 1922, and it runs with the rumor that Max Schreck was really a vampire. In the movie Shadow of the Vampire, the director knows he is a vampire, but none of the other cast or crew knows. Although as filming goes on, and some crew members die while others disappear, they start to suspect that he is. Shortly after Nosferatu debuted in German theaters in 1922, rumors circulated that Schreck, the film's lead, was actually a vampire in real life. In the 1920s, the widespread vampire story, as well as moving pictures themselves, were still relatively new, and some people speculated that vampires might actually exist. So they were more willing to believe the stories about Shrek. Max Shrek was said to be a skilled actor with an unusual temperament. He had many stage and screen roles. He was a loner. And it was said that he lived in his own remote and strange world. Of course, it certainly didn't help his reputation that the word Shrek in German is terror, immediately painting the man as an intimidating figure. While different depictions of vampires feature fear of the crucifix, transformation into bats, and having no reflection in a mirror, one of the universally recognized tropes is that vampires are killed by direct sunlight. However, that wasn't really the case until F.W. Marnow put it in his movie. In fact, Bram Stoker's Count Dracula walked around outside in the sun, 
but he was just merely weakened by it. It was the ending of Nosferatu that cemented the idea of sunlight killing the vampire. The sunlight being the cause of death was easier and cheaper than the folkloric way, which was to drive a stake through his heart, cut off his head, and burn the corpse, which wouldn't have been easy to show on screen in 1922. Bram Stoker's widow sued, saying that Marnow ripped off her husband's story. Eventually, all copies of the film were ruled to be destroyed. Even after Stoker's widow ordered Nosferatu destroyed, the film managed to live on. By that time, copies of the movie had been sent to theaters around the world. Max Schreck continued to act all the way through the 1920s and 30s. He passed away from a heart attack in 1939. He was only 56 years old. Robert Eggers is said to be making a reboot of Nosferatu and is wanting Robert Pattinson to be Count Orlock. But it is said that Robert Pattinson might not be that eager to play another vampire. Both Nosferatu and Shadow of the Vampire are movies I recommend. In Shadow of the Vampire, Willem Dafoe is a phenomenal actor, of course, and he does a truly exceptional job in this movie. Also, John Melkovich, another favorite of mine, is very good, just as he always is. This movie is worth seeing if you haven't already. Fun fact, Austin, Texas hosts an annual Nosferatu festival, inviting fans from all over the world to travel to America's City of Bats and celebrate all things vampiric. The next movie is From Hell, 2001 movie starring Johnny Depp and Heather Graham. From Hell was based on a graphic novel by Alan Moore, speculates on the real murderer, Jack the Ripper, who was never definitively identified. The hunt is afoot in the movie From Hell. The 2001 movie starred Johnny Depp in the leading role of Inspector Fred Aberlein. Loosely based on the graphic novel of the same name, the film follows the story of Jack the Ripper. Inspector Aberlein is determined to catch the Ripper before he wreaks more havoc and chaos in London, but the story has certain details that make it intriguing. Aberlein is aided by visions he has while high on opium. Intermixed is the Ripper's possible next victim, who's a love interest of Aberlein's. The movie features intense gore in its fervent attacks. It's a pretty decent movie that goes along telling the story of the murders, goes through some of the suspects, and ultimately ends with the particular suspect being the one. It's not who I would lay my money on as actually being Jack the Ripper, but I think pretty much all of the suspects have interesting reasons as to why they become suspects. This particular one is quite interesting, but ultimately one that I think is least likely to be Jack the Ripper himself. So the movie is worth a watch. I won't give any more away because that is part of the fun of this movie. Jack the Ripper is one of the most famous, if not the most famous, unsolved serial killer murder cases. It was a long time ago, and it has not been solved. But one reason it got so much attention was just the severe brutality and gore involved in the murders. Without so much saying so, everyone was thinking, this guy is one sick puppy. So the fact that the murders were so terribly brutal and the fact that it was never solved has made this the subject of many, many books and movies. After I go through the facts of the case for you, I'll list the other movies that are out there about Jack in case you'd like to watch one or more of them this Halloween season. 
In the Whitechapel district of London, Jack the Ripper unleashed absolute terror. He killed at least five victims, the canonical five as they were often referred to, Mary Ann Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. There are two earlier murders that are not considered to be Jack the Ripper. I'm sure you are at least somewhat aware of these Ripper murders, but I still want to warn you that the details of his attacks on these women is deeply disturbing and gruesome, and they get more so as he went on. Warning issued. Listener discretion is advised. The first two cases in the Whitechapel murders file, those of Emma Elizabeth Smith and Martha Tabram, are not included in the canonical file. Emma Elizabeth Smith was robbed and sexually assaulted in Whitechapel around 1.30 a.m. on the 3rd of April, 1888. She was hit in the face repeatedly and had her ear cut. The attackers also used a blunt object of some kind to violently insert in her vagina, causing a rupture to her peritoneum. She died in the hospital the next day from peritonitis. Smith was able to give a description of the attackers and said it had been two to three men and that one of them looked like a teenager. After the Ripper murders started to accumulate, the newspapers linked her murder to Jack the Ripper, but most experts attribute Smith's murder to East End gang violence that was prevalent at the time. Martha Tabram is another that most experts do not include in the Jack the Ripper murders, but hers does seem quite possible as there was a lot of viciousness in the attack inflicted on her. She was also murdered in Whitechapel, and her death was caused by 39 stab wounds. She was stabbed in the throat, lungs, heart, liver, spleen, stomach, abdomen, breasts, and vagina. The stab wounds were consistent with the attacker being right-handed. She had not been raped. Most experts who do not include her with the Ripper murders do so because she was not slashed but stabbed, so there is a difference in the wound pattern. However, Jack could have just been getting started. The canonical five Ripper victims are Mary Ann Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. The body of Mary Ann Nichols was discovered at around 3.30 a.m. on the 31st of August, 1888, in Whitechapel. Emily Holland, a friend of hers, had seen her just an hour before she was found. She had two deep cuts that severed her throat. She had been stabbed two times in the vagina and her abdomen was partially ripped open, causing her bowels to protrude. There were further incisions to both sides of her abdomen. One week later, there was another victim. September 8, 1888, the body of Annie Chapman was discovered around 6 a.m. Just like Marianne Nichols, the throat was severed by two deep cuts. Her abdomen had been cut entirely open, with parts of the flesh from her stomach being placed up on her left shoulder and another section of skin and flesh, as well as her small intestines, were removed and placed up on her right shoulder. During autopsy, it was discovered that her uterus and parts of her bladder and vagina had been removed. A witness says she saw Chapman around 5.30 a.m. talking to a man who she described as dark-haired and of a shabby, genteel appearance. He wore a brown deerstalker hat and a dark overcoat. There were two victims killed in the early morning hours of September 30, 1888. Elizabeth Stride was found discovered at 1 a.m. There was a single incision six inches long across her neck and down her jaw, which severed her left carotid artery and her trachea. There was no further mutilations, and it is speculated that either Jack the Ripper was interrupted during the murder or it was not him. There were witnesses who saw a man with Elizabeth Stride who came forward to the police 
and they all gave different descriptions. Some said the man was fair-haired, and some said he had dark hair. Some said he was well-dressed, but others said he was shabby. Catherine Edowes' body was found 45 minutes later. Her throat was slit and her abdomen ripped open by a long, deep, and jagged wound before her intestines had been placed over her right shoulder. The left kidney and part of her uterus had been removed. Her face had been mutilated, her nose severed, cheek slashed, and there were vertical cuts in each of her eyelids. Triangular incisions had also been carved upon each of her cheeks, and a section of her right ear was cut off and found in her clothing. A witness said he saw a woman who might have been Eddowes with a shabby man who had fair hair. A little over an hour after Catherine Eddowes's body was found, a section of her bloodied apron was found at the bottom of a wall with chalk writing on it. It read, The Jews are the men that will not be blamed for nothing. Some said that the message implied that a Jew or Jews were responsible for the murder. However, it is unknown if the message was already there when the murderer dropped the section of the apron. It could have then been there before and have nothing to do with a murder or murderer. Mary Jane Kelly was found in her room that she rented on November 9, 1888. It was an absolutely horrifying sight. Her face was severely mutilated, her throat severed down to her spine. She was disemboweled and nearly all of her organs had been taken out of her abdomen. Her kidneys, uterus, and one breast was placed under her head. Her heart was completely missing. The mutilations definitely got worse with each victim, except for Stride, and most believe that is because the Ripper was interrupted. The murders were extensively investigated and are still being investigated, speculated on, and written about. There are a lot of suspects, and the only thing we know for sure is that no one really knows who Jack the Ripper was. Some movies about Jack the Ripper. The first one is Jack the Ripper from 1988. It stars Michael Caine as the head detective, Aberlein. The movie starts by talking about how it has been a hundred years, and although this is a dramatization of those events, it was based on extensive research, including a review of the official files by special permission of the Home Office, as well as interviews with leading criminologists and Scotland Yard officials. The other one is From Hell, the one that we just talked about, 2001 movie, starring Johnny Depp and Heather Graham. A Study in Terror is a 1965 movie. This movie incorporates Sherlock Holmes in the mix. And Murder by Decree, 1978 movie, also featuring Sherlock Holmes, but is said to pay close attention to the details of the Ripper murders. And a movie that I could not find anywhere is Love Lies Bleeding, a 1999 movie starring Paul Rise, Emily Raymond, Malcolm McDowell, Wayne Rogers, and Faye Dunaway. Some other movies you should check out. Ravenous, it's a 1999 movie starring Guy Pearce, Robert Carlyle, and Jeffrey Jones. In a remote military outpost in the 19th century, Captain John Boyd and his regiment embark on a rescue mission which takes a dark turn when they are ambushed by a sadistic cannibal. This movie is inspired by the Donner Party and Alfred Greiner Packer. 
Alfred Greiner Packer was a prospector and guide in the Rocky Mountains during the 1870s who confessed to cannibalism during the winter of 1874. Packer joined Bob McGrew's party of 21 men in November of 1873. They left Provo, Utah, and were heading for the gold country around Breckenridge, Colorado. There was an unusually harsh winter from 1873 to 74. After three months of difficult travel, they happened upon an Indian camp. The chief offered to let them stay with his tribe until the winter passed. After a while, Packer and five other men decided they couldn't wait out the whole winter and left for Los Pinos Indian Agency. On April 16, 1874, Packer arrived at the Los Pinos Indian Agency alone, looking surprisingly fit for a man who had just completed a brutal winter trek through the Rockies. When asked what happened to the rest of his party, Packer claimed he got his feet wet and frozen and the others abandoned him. After it was discovered that Packer had some of the other men's belongings and a large amount of money, his story was questioned. Albert eventually told a story in which one man died and the others ate him to stay alive. Then another man was killed accidentally and they ate him, and so on as they slowly traveled until Albert was the only one left. Eventually, the remains of all five men were found at one campsite, not one here and one there, as if they were still traveling together. Packer was charged with murder. Packer escaped jail, but was found nine years later. He changed his story a few times. In one of them, he claimed that a member in their party went crazy and shot the other four men. He was found guilty of premeditated murder and sentenced to hang in the first trial. There was an appeal, a reversal, and a retrial. He was convicted of five counts of manslaughter and sentenced to 40 years. He was paroled in 1901 and passed away in Deer Creek, Colorado in 1907 at the age of 65. Another movie is Summer of Sam. It's a 1999 movie as well. Spike Lee's take on the Son of Sam murders in New York City during the summer of 1977, centering on the residents of an Italian-American Northeast Bronx neighborhood who live in fear and distrust of one another. John Leguizamo, Adrian Brody, Mira Sorvino, Jennifer Esposito, and Anthony LaPalja. The other one is one I've recommended before. It's The Town That Dreaded Sundown, 1976 movie. It was based on the real murders that took place in Texarkana in the 1940s. A hooded killer, the Texarkana Phantom, attacked couples parked in their cars. Three people escaped the attacks but were severely wounded. Five were killed. His last attack that is known of was of a married couple in their own home. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to leave a voicemail about this or any other episode, you can do so on my website, cherryavenuetruecrime.com. And you can also let me know if you want your voicemail aired on a future episode or not. You can leave your name or not leave your name. It's up to you. Visit me on social media on Instagram at cherryavenuetruecrime or on Twitter at avenuecrime. I always post pictures relative to both the movie and the true crime case involved, so check it out. Just a quick reminder that new episodes come out on the 15th and the 30th of each month, with bonus episodes sometimes thrown out there all willy-nilly-like, so please hit subscribe so you don't miss any. Podcast merch is available in the link in my show notes. I have merch like tote bags and mugs, and there are some fun t-shirts as well that are curated from other artists. Happy Halloween, and as always, be safe. Thank you.